Good afternoon. Welcome to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. The Toronto Blue Jays are off today? That doesn't seem right. If there was ever a night for them to be off, selfishly, the night of the NBA draft is perfect. Uh, I'm also off to Chicago tomorrow, so this lines up nicely for me personally. Uh, Enjoy the off day while you can, Toronto Blue Jays, because after today... You play 17 days in a row with a double header in there, 18 games in your next 17 days after today, uh, the entire bullpen arms in ice, arms in heat, arms in hot ice. You take the ice, you heat it up rookie of the year style. I don't know, but you got to get that bullpen in shape. Uh, it doesn't seem like reinforcements are coming by the time you arrive in Milwaukee to play the Brewers yesterday. The Jays beat the White Sox nine, five. They salvaged one in the series a series they almost certainly feel they should have had two in, could have had even more. That's been the story of late. You can you can understand losing two of three against the Yankees, although you certainly don't like the the style points there. Uh, but you only took two of four against the Orioles, and you probably should have taken two of three against this White Sox team. You very nearly took zero of three against the White Sox. Uh, the Jays yesterday, and I, I did Jays talk post game yesterday, so I apologize if I'm repeating some of this, but in case you missed it or, or in case you want the refresher, the Jays got up nine to one in that one. They were hammering Lucas Giolito. You think with how the bullpen has been worked of late, a couple innings of low leverage relief is exactly what you hope for on a Ross Stripling day. Stripling went six innings. They didn't bring him out for the seventh. He was at 87 pitches. He'd pitched pretty well. He'd, they, it was the longest they've let him face an order for the third time. There were some questions about whether you could have let him go longer. Maybe you don't want to overextend him. Seven or eight run lead. Maybe you just trust your bullpen guys to close that out and you don't want to overtax Stripling. There's also the idea that if he got in trouble, it's harder to bring a reliever in with men on base than get a clean inning. Whatever the case, David Phelps comes in, allows one, scatters three hits, but but escapes with just one run allowed. You're okay with that. Adam Simmer comes in and single, single, walk, single, pop out, and single. And then what looked like a double play ball, Santiago Espinal can't scoop it and flip it over to Bobachette. Uh, they get zero outs. The inning continues. At that point, the team's win probability had swung like 13%. The leverage index was up to three times the, the a normal situation. And Trent Thornton had to come in and put that fire out, which he did. White Sox fans pretty upset that Lurie Garcia stays in to, to hit with the bases loaded and two outs there. Tim Anderson was the last remaining White Sox on the bench. He was a scheduled off day, but White Sox fans certainly feeling like he should have... Uh, he should have got the opportunity to pinch hit there. Although then he has to field and we don't need to get into the white Sox side of it, but uh, you escape with it. Nine, five, the bats continue to be hot. Eight J's who start get hits. Six of them reach base at least twice. Take the win, take the day off, move on. Things don't get much easier ahead. You got the Brewers. It's Red Sox and the Rays next week. This is the, the way the ALEs works. You are never, very far from another difficult series. So the Jays will play three against the Brewers who had an eight game losing streak, but have turned it around at late one, six of the last 10 uh, back to within a game of the Cardinals in the NL central. And you got three against the Red Sox, five against the Rays before you finally get a lesser competition. And that's 
that comes in the form of a seven game West coast road trip. So it's not going to be an easy 18 games in 17 days. That's for sure. We're going to take your texts throughout the show, especially later on. Normally in that 430 block, we set tonight's game up. We don't have one tonight. So we'll take a bunch of your texts. You can keep those coming to 590, 590. You can tweet them at tweet your thoughts and questions to me at Blake Murphy ODC if you prefer. We'll be joined a little later by Mike Petriello from MLB.com. We're going to go deep on how much the Jays have shifted and whether they should maybe scale that back for certain pitchers. We're going to talk to Sam Decker later too, the former Toronto Raptor, who's a huge Milwaukee Brewers fan and a huge baseball fan in general. But first, joining us from MLB.com with just an incredible photo of her dog having an absolute meltdown earlier, Julia Kreutz. Julia, how are you today? I'm all right, Blake. Thank you for bringing that up. Brought another smile to my face. <laughs> yes. What What is the deal in that picture? I've looked at it several times and still can't quite figure out what's going on. All right. So you're talking about the one I tweeted today, right? Yes. Not not the one of, of Elfie in a hat. This is a different dog <laughs> and a different situation. That's right. So this is Nene. He lives in Brazil and he's named after the basketball player um, who is also from Brazil. So there you are. Uh, Nene, the poor thing, had surgery on his paw to remove some uh, cancerous cells there. And he is not happy about having to wear the cone. He is a very, very needy dog. He's always been needy. And uh, in that photo specifically, he <laughs> kind of looks like a vampire. <laughs> he sure does. Hanging upside down. So wait, sorry. Are you in Brazil visiting right now? Or is that like your family sent you a picture of Nene? Yeah, I uh, I get a, a regular flux of okay. photos of all the dogs, not just Nene. But uh, yeah, we have a bunch of them in Brazil. We have a big house. So uh, it keeps us close as well. <laughs> I understand that my dad's dog out in Newfoundland just had puppies. So I've been getting regular puppy updates. Uh, it's the best. <laughs> little idiots. They they try to play fight and they're not athletic enough yet. They're all little chubsters. Um, all right. We, uh, we should talk about baseball, I guess, as well. Um, so that game last night, they get up 9-1. I imagine, I, I actually forget if it were, it was you or Keegan on the game, but as a writer, you're you're starting to write, you're getting ahead at 9-1, and then you have to start rewriting as things unravel, and then you have to abandon the rewrite. Um, what were the ups and downs like for you going through that one, especially given the Jays, you know, would have potentially ended up getting swept by the White Sox had that continued to fall apart? Yeah, thankfully I was not covering that game. That was all Keegan in the heat of Chicago, but... <laughs> uh, you know, we've had our fair shares of uh, of uh, coming back late or allowing a tie, and then Vlad Jr. say hit the walk off single <laughs> for the first walk off hit of his career. Uh, there's definitely been a lot of rewriting um, this season, and that's just the, the the beauty of the game and just the, the dynamic that this team has sort of uh, set for itself, uh, for better or worse. Uh, and, and that's why they call it run support, right? Like you need to to give your pitchers. Uh, the chance to not be perfect, right? Adam Simber was great the game uh, just prior to, to the one that they played yesterday, and then he faltered. That's okay, and, and, and that's what good teams do. It's, uh, and, and actually talking to Simber a couple of weeks ago, he said, look, uh, sure, like we have been sort of keeping the team at bay when this, the offense was struggling, but you just know that when pitchers start faltering, the offense will come uh, to our rescue and these bats will really shine. And that's sort of what we saw yesterday. They just kept tacking on runs. Boba huge game, <laughs> grand slam. 
that's what the good teams do. That said, the bullpen has been left a little bit exposed in the past couple of weeks, and I will be very interested to see what the Blue Jays do to address that before the trade deadline. Yeah, there's a... There's a lot you could do, but there's at least some things you have to do. It's just they don't have the depth there. They don't have the ability to miss bats. Simber gets in a situation like that, and I know it's great to be able to get a ground ball and maybe double play your way out of it, but the best thing you could do there is just strike somebody out, and there there isn't a lot of bat missing uh, in that bullpen. I'm glad you mentioned that there's a confidence in the offense right now. I know they got shut out by the Yankees and it hasn't been there every game. It's baseball there. You're going to have bad days, but you were in that Yankees clubhouse throughout that series. I know you were covering the Yankees side of it. I know you got the comments from Anthony Rizzo after he hit the grand slam. If you, you know, having been around that Yankees team and that vibe and again, of course the Yankees are, are a degree of magnitude better than the Jays so far this season, but how important can that be to a team over the long haul to have that level of confidence of, okay, if I don't have my best on the hill today, my guys are going to pick me up. Or if you're a reliever and, oh, if I, you know, I, I, I don't have to get down because I allowed one run and we're back in a tie game because my guys will pick me up. How big do you think that is over the course of the season? That's something that Aaron Boone um, highlighted throughout that whole series is in how many different ways the Yankees uh, can win games. And, and, and craft big win streaks that, like we saw uh, earlier this month. And, and, and that's exactly it. You know, you have uh, a strong rotation, one that doesn't really make many mistakes. And then you have guys like Clay Holmes coming out of the bullpen and making history and breaking Mariano Rivera's record. And you have probably the best offense right now in Major League Baseball. Uh, really just clobbering baseballs every night and, and tacking on runs. And, and that's it. The, the Blue Jays are well on their way to becoming one of those superpowers. There are areas that need to be addressed. And once those areas are addressed, I believe that the confidence uh, will come with it. And the Blue Jays are a tremendously confident team, and, and that has been building uh, all season. But when you have a well-rounded, a well-oiled team all around, the vibes really do change, you know, even when the Yankees lost in that crazy comeback that we saw uh, by the Blue Jays in the final game, they were fine. <laughs> you know, they kept their chins up. They kept their head down. Okay. We're going to go, we're going to play tomorrow. And you know, that was potentially their 50th win. That's what that does. Uh, when you don't have to really worry about a certain area, you can just do your job, have fun with it, and be confident. And uh, that's what the Blue Jays should aim to achieve in the second half of the season. Yeah, I agree with that. And adding a couple bullpen arms would, would certainly help with that that confidence level as games get later and tighter. Um, so the bats have been going. It's been why there's that confidence level. It's been why they've been in more games than they haven't been, and they can come back like that. They have been rewarded so far with, we got our first all-star ballot returns this week, and it's basically all Blue Jays. The whole team's going to the all-star game the way things look now. Uh, Maybe you'd rather have the rest or or something like that. Um, But let's start with Alejandro Kirk. First among AL catchers in votes, third among all American leaguers in votes, on merit, he's been the best catcher in the American League. But are you surprised at all that the votes are backing that up so emphatically? Yeah, I, to be honest with you, I am a little surprised. When you look at, I think he's the only infielder with uh, over a million votes 
right? Uh, one of three with over a million votes overall in the American League. That is tremendous support. And, and obviously, he has been phenomenal. He's really found his power in the in the last month or so. But he's been putting up good at bats all season. And also, he is just a very charismatic guy. You know, it's very easy to root for Alejandro Kirk when he opens up that big smile. Uh, and that plays a factor in here as well, right? He is probably one of the best catchers in Major League Baseball right now in, in this specific moment. Um, and he's also very, very easy to root for, uh, very easygoing guy. And it's an at-bat that you want to watch, right? It, it, probably if I had to pick one at-bat to watch right now, uh, Kirk would be right up there. Uh, and that's translating in, in, in voting in a way that uh, I, I think it's safe to say very few people expect it. Certainly, I didn't expect that the votes would be that emphatic. You worry sometimes of, you know, is, especially with the Yankees playing so well, and we know Salvador Perez is monstrously popular when it comes to the fan vote. You worry a little bit. Is it, has the baseball world caught up enough to what we're all seeing? Um, But then I look at all the results and... I wonder, like, are Jays fans just overstuffing the boxes? And and that's a big part of this because they have a top three guy at every position except designated hitter. And somehow Danny Jansen is fourth in designated hitter votes. Uh, It's a little the Jays are good. They've had a nice start to the season. They have a lot of fun players, nine games over 500, all that stuff. I don't know that they should be doing the Kansas City Royals thing of having a starter at every position. Uh, How do you feel about Jays fans hammering the ballot box like that? I mean, what can you say? It's uh, that's that's such a funny thing to think about, right? Because obviously Kirk is deserving. Everyone that's there deserves to be where they are. Uh, at the same time, yeah, yeah, Blue Jays fans are probably uh, voting a little bit more <laughs> than other teams' <laughs> fans. Uh, will that even itself out in the end? Uh, you know, will other fan bases sort of catch up? Uh, we'll see. But as of right now, I, I, I don't think it's there's, – there's nothing egregious about the numbers so far. I don't think that it's, uh, it's like, okay, Blue Jays fans are just voting 24-7 and therefore this is an unfair – ballot return i feel like sure there there might be a little bit of a of an inflated numbers in some points and and this will it you know it will even itself out but if the voting ended like this i wouldn't have much of a problem with it i don't know if you agree with me blake if you would change anything um from what it is right now but that's the way i kind of see it my only change would be if we're working under the assumption Jays fans are stuffing the ballot box. What I have learned from the NBA all-star voting over the year, the years is you like the ballot stuffing. Obviously the earlier you get on it, like those votes still count, but the Raptors have always had a lot of success with waiting till the last minute. And I think part of that is like, you don't want to get other, like, like this might've raised an alarm for other fan bases of, Oh, we got to start voting and get the guys in. Uh, whereas if you, you kind of lay in the weeds a little bit, maybe you got a better chance, but no on merit. I don't think there's uh, a huge issue. Um, so for anyone who didn't catch it, Santiago Espinal, Matt Chapman, Lourdes Gurriel jr. Teoscar Hernandez, all outside of kind of the podium, so to speak, they're, they won't get voted in the way things look right now, but they're close. They're getting appreciated. And then in addition to Kirk, 
Vladimir Guerrero Jr., George Springer, and Bo Bichette would all be starters if the All-Star voting ended today. Um, so you're right, Julia, or, or to the extent that I agree anyway, and we're the arbiters of this. I don't think there's anything too egregious in there. I, I think Bo Bichette is probably the one that you'd most raise your eyebrows at. You know, he's he's ninth among AL shortstops and wins above replacement so far. I don't think he would say he's had his best season so far, but nothing really too egregious there. Um, is there anyone who on, on the Jays side, how do I frame this? Would you, like, if you had the power, would you swap out Bo for, say, Santiago Espinal because he's maybe uh, a little more deserving to this time? How, how would you do your ballot if we were working under the, the rule that you can only have, say, three or four J's on it? I think so, uh, to be honest with you. I think that Espinal, the season that he's been putting together here, the ability to move up and down the lineup and still produce, uh, I know he had a, a, a big error yesterday, but the defensive side of the game, he just keeps improving. Um, very even keel guy. He doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. Um, contact, power, it's all sort of coming together for him. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that he is a deserving guy just for the fact that, you know, he, he keeps producing no matter what you do with him. And, and that is such an advantage to a team, especially a team values versatility as much as the Blue Jays do. That versatility is so huge. And it's, you know, we see it if Bo Bichette fouls a ball off his foot and needs a day off or Matt Chapman's dealing with a sore wrist and needs a day off. You don't have to carry that utility guy on your bench in a traditional sense. Like they are right now. They have Otto Lopez there. Um, but Espinal can bounce all around the diamond for you and is an everyday worthy defender and bat. And that lets you pick your spots with Kevin Biggio or Tapia, or like you can, you can mix and match a lot of ways. If a guy needs a day off, it's been huge. Um, so the fans don't vote on the pitchers who will get in. That gets determined in part by a player vote in the commissioner's office. And then um, the commissioner's office fills out the last couple slots to make sure every team has a rep and all that stuff. And then there will be the last chance vote. The blue Jays have, in my estimation, three guys with a chance to get in on the pitching side, Alec Manoa, Kevin Gosman, and Jordan Romano. Um, Gosman's certainly cooled off of late. Um, Alec Manoa has not. He had that one kind of iffy start against the Yankees, and that's it. Otherwise, he's been he's been excellent. And then Jordan Romano near the top of the league in most leverage stats. Um, do you have a feeling as to if any of those three will get into the All-Star game or, in your opinion, should? I would be absolutely shocked if Manoa and Romano didn't make the all-star team. That would be uh, probably the biggest surprise of the season so far. <laughs> yeah. And uh, as, as for Gosman, we have a, we have a few weeks left here to see how things go. He'll get a couple more starts in. I think that, you know, overall you look at his season production, he is deserving. Uh, it, it'll really depend on how short a memory voters have in this situation because his last couple of starts have been less than ideal for a guy uh, of, of his caliber. That, all that said, I mean, he didn't walk a batter for the first, like, in his first <laughs> six, five starts, I think, right? It took him six starts to walk a batter. It took him almost as long to uh, allow a home run. This is a guy that's an all-star. It, it, it'll just be a matter of how quickly and how soon can he bounce back from 
the last couple of outings in which he was clearly uh, dealing with something. It wasn't uh, it wasn't what we got what we've been used to to seeing from Kevin Gosman, and it's not who he is. And he'll be the first to tell you that that's not who he is. So. Can he get back to a point where he's generating swings and misses off of that splitter, which is so important to him, um, or will hitters just keep fitting fastball and, and get the, the the best of him, sort of bringing him back to an average-level uh, starter? Yeah. That is uh, one of the storylines that I think we should follow closely um, in the near future. I just – I hope – I know it wasn't his best start of the season, but two earned over seven the other time out – after hearing the way he talked to you guys after that Baltimore game, and that's the game we find out after he was like pretty sick during and stuff. Uh, that guy is very hard on himself. And I, I want, I would like to see him string a couple, at least solid starts together, even just for the sake of get out of your head a little bit. Um, you, I, I know Gosman is very open with you guys. Um, do you sense that those struggles like have, occasional potential to snowball with him because he does think about them so much and wear them a little bit? Honestly, no. Uh, my takeaway after that Orioles game and talking to him was accountability. And I think that that mm-hmm. is so important to a professional uh, ball player. You know, that was number one. And I do appreciate his honesty, but I've also seen, uh, you know, a half of a season more or less of this guy and, you have to you have to move on, and, and that's what the great ones do. That is what Kevin Gosman will do. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I don't think it'll be a mental thing for him. I just think that it's a matter of okay, hitters are adjusting to his game plan. Now he needs to get back to the drawing board and, and readjust type thing. So from guys who could potentially make the All Star team this year, or will in the case of Alejandro Kirk at least, to future all-stars and not too far in the distant future. Um, you had, we had you on and you had to, to talk about that great Gabriel Moreno profile you had right around the time he got called up. Um, your early impressions of Moreno, has he lived up to or even exceeded the expectations you had for him uh, in his first trip up to the majors? Uh, to be honest with you, I tend not to have expectations uh, for guys who are just coming up. I don't think that's fair to anyone involved, if you if that makes any sense. Um, but what we've seen from Moreno is what we've known that he's capable of, right? His um, hitting approach is pretty advanced for a guy his age. Um, he, he has been really good defensively, um, you know, with a couple of errors here and there, a couple of mistakes and, and opportunities to learn. Uh, you kind of see his youth from time to time in an attempted throw or, or, or some things at the plate that, you know, you, you kind of see that there's a lot to evolve there still. Um, but his ability to make contact is phenomenal. That said, just like it did in AAA, his power is taking a little bit to get there. He got his first extra base hit. I believe it was, it was yesterday. So that is kind of starting to shape up a little bit more. And when that comes along, it'll give fans and the Blue Jays a better idea of who he actually is at the plate. Um, but that said, I mean, it's, it's no accident that I think his batting average is over 400 right now. His, his contact ability is just tremendous. His ability to make adjustments with two strikes uh, is really, really great. So as far as expectations go, um, I don't think I had any, but we, we're just seeing the, the continued progression 
of Gabriel Moreno in, in everything that he's done so far. Such a reasonable way to approach things with expectations and young players. It's uh I don't know. It's we got to get the takes hotter. We got to heat them up. It's too. You sound like me on basketball of, of just like very reasonable and smart. And it's like, ah, oh, yeah, that's the right way to approach it. But I want him to homer now. Um, yes. Also, only one strikeout in 29 plate appearances so far, which is uh, remarkable. Um, Julia, thanks so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate the insight and very much appreciate all the dog photos. Thank you so much for calling me reasonable. It's the first time ever in my life I've been called that. Well, I feel like you would get called it way more working off of Keegan all the time. Like, you have to be the reasonable one in that partnership. There's no way that's not the case. That's a good point. Uh, all right. Well, keep, so up the great, yeah, keep up the great work, Julia. Uh, Julia Kreutz, MLB.com, uh, BlueJays.com. Great stuff. Uh, even... Yes, when to read her stuff, you have to read Yankee stuff because she gets the road team duties for a home series. Again, the Jays are off today. 18 games in the next 17 days after today. That starts tomorrow with a three-game series in Milwaukee against the Brewers. To help us get a snapshot of the Brewers and just to talk about how a professional basketball player becomes one of the biggest baseball fans that I know, Sam Decker, the former Raptor, joins us next on Jays Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jay's off today. Brewers up next. Uh, you know, I was thinking, I, I'm hosting the Raptor show for Will Lou most of this week, too. I'm like, ah, oh, it's the NBA draft. What if I got a guy who's been through that before, a guy who knows exactly what these kids are going through, a guy who has played in the NBA, who was a first-round pick himself, and I bring him on to talk about baseball on the Jay show Instead, joined now by former Raptors forward, uh, 2022 FIBA Europe Cup champion, Sam Decker. How are you, buddy? Hey, good. That was a great intro. Thank you. I, I am very excited. But yeah, draft day, but also here to talk some some Jays Brewers. And I'm, I'm watching the Brewers as we speak right now. So uh, thanks for having us on. I love the, the uh, intro song as well. Yeah. Got me all, got me all, got me all hyped. Yeah, I, I, I know your taste. I, I can... Uh, yeah, like, I can unbelievably that was like unbelievable that was perfect thank you yeah uh brewers up right now four <laughs> two on the on the cardinals by the way as they continue to mm-hmm. battle it out uh, atop the nl central I, we are going to talk 95 percent baseball here but i did i did want to ask you it is draft day um does a day mm-hmm. like this bring back some some nostalgia for you some feelings of, of what that year light was like for you that what that night was like for you oh for sure um because it's such a unique situation, unique feeling, and um, a moment that you dream of, like as a kid. I know that sounds super cliche, but uh, to actually then experience it and go through it and know the ins and outs of that day, I can kind of put myself in the shoes of those young men right now. Um, and I know they're uh, thinking about a lot. I know they got a lot of people walking in and out of their hotel rooms right now, and pushing them in one direction or the other. And it's, it's a, it's a whirlwind. It, you get really caught up in the whole day. Cause it's, it's a lot. You're on your feet. Um, I, yeah, looking back, it's exhausting. So 
Um, the uncertainty is the most exhausting part, so I know those 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 guys are ready to hear where they're going to go. What do we think about uh, your guy Johnny Davis sliding down the board a little bit? That that legitimate, or is that going to make him end up being like a sleeper a little later on? You know, I don't know. I, that's that's the thing. It's so much uncertainty. It's kind of similar to the situation that I went through. Um, you know, coming you know, the whole summer go, going into the draft. We were hearing like anywhere from like eight to fourteen, and it ended up being eighteen. You know, because you never know what teams are going to look for early in the draft, and there always could be a pick or two that no one's expecting. There always is, and then every agent and every front office then has to scramble, and the whole night shifts. So um, I'm excited to see who that one or two guys that it's a oh wow didn't know he's going there. And then everything jumbles up. So um, I'm excited for Johnny. I think there's a couple spots that could be really good for him. Um, and uh, I think early in his career, uh, I think he'll be an invaluable guy that can come off a of bench and score right away. And I think you know, that would be a great role for him early on and uh, really let him last in the, in the league. So you mentioned that you know, draft night for you is something you, you dream of as a kid. You were also a huge Brewers fan as a kid, though. I know you were everything Milwaukee fan as a kid. And obviously you mm-hmm. are uh, an NBA caliber athlete. At what point did you decide, like, we could maybe include football in this too, but baseball versus basketball? Because getting to know you a bit, it seems like, like, I know you love basketball. You really are passionate about baseball. Yeah, that's really my, like, bread and butter viewing sport because watching basketball, my life is so basketball. Like, you know, I'm in the gym every day shooting and on the court and lifting and thinking about basketball and thinking about my job and practicing and playing that I don't always want to come home and watch more. Um, I know a lot of guys will lie and say that's all they do. (laughs) Um, but that's such a lie because a lot of us want to get away from it. So baseball is my kind of way to change the pace sports wise, because it is so much different. It's slower. It's more thought. It's, um, it's just fun for me to watch. And we had baseball on so much, uh, in our, in our household growing up, my dad's a huge baseball guy. So, uh, sophomore year of high school, halfway through the year, I had to call it quits because AAU was taking up so much of my time and, I felt like a bad teammate. I would leave for a week, go to, you know, Dallas or something for a tournament and come back and expect to play and be in the lineup. And it just wasn't fair to the guys that were there all the time. And it sucked having to stop, but uh, there was nothing like in the summers, you know, in nice weather up here in Wisconsin playing, you know, three, four hours a day playing baseball. It was so much fun. Uh, You mentioned you're watching the Brewers game right now. Lars Newtbar just homered off of Jason Alexander. Real name, no gimmicks. Yeah, I know that's such a that's such a uh, snap. You know, sounds like a candy bar, but it, yeah, <laughs> it's also the most St. Louis Cardinals thing of like a guy who literally sounds like he has a made up name. Of course, he's going to come oh, up yeah. and and contribute. I know he's only hitting like one hundred or whatever, but uh, of course he's yep. going to come in and contribute. That's that's life in the NL Central. Um, so you are a Brewers fan. I'm going to ask you a bit about the Brewers, but you also had mentioned to me before that you bounced around a little bit in your professional sports career and you at least at some stops have adopted the team, the baseball team that you're playing in the city, you're playing basketball in as your number two. And mm-hmm. when you were in Houston, you were with the Rockets at the same time, George Springer was at, with the Astros. Um, you got to know George a little bit, right? 
Yeah, I, I mostly just like them being at our games and vice versa, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was the start of the Astros really coming on the scene because, you know, growing up, the Astros were in the NL Central and they had those great years with Berkman, Biggio, and, and those guys. And then all of a sudden they were, you know, the garbage can of the league. And then they go uh, switch to the AL. And then, you know, once they get Correa, Bregman, Springer, uh, you name it, McCullers, the whole shift in Houston tie uh, changed, you know. And um, that was pretty fun to be a part of it when, you know, we were in Houston when they were going through those, you know, World Series runs as they still are. But, uh, yeah, they would come to games and support and got to know guys like Lance McCullers and, and Carlos and, um, just really good people over there with good families. And um, so, yeah, w- watching George Springer, now you guys get a chance to watch him up <laughs> in Toronto. You guys have some of my favorite players to watch, and that's what's like when uh, I got a chance to go to a game or two when I was in Toronto for the limited time I was there. And um, the excitement around that lineup is so fun, and uh, I wish I could watch it every day. I was going to ask, like, you're a Brewers fan. That's an NL team. Not this weekend, obviously, but I, I feel like you're allowed to have an AL team that you like as well. I, are the Jays mm-hmm. fun enough, and with the Springer thing and everything, like, have they been able to carve out anything for you, any space with you as your AL team? Uh, well, keep, yeah. I keep mean, in I mind, you're I on texted, Toronto radio. Yeah. I know, I know. I, I think I texted you early on like during training camp like if i could adopt if i can adopt them because we're talking about sports and you're also a jags fan and uh one of my best friends was playing there so we we, you know we have some connections with sports together and um yeah what i i yeah when i watch the blue jays i always get excited i want to see them in the uh in the playoffs the rogers center always has such an amazing atmosphere for those playoff games as we've seen through the years and when you have young talent like Bichette and Guerrero and Guriel and Kirk, like how do you not get excited to get up and watch them? I know they're in a, they're in the worst division for them right now. <laughs> um, with the, with the giants they have over there with the Yankees and Sox and, and Rays. But if there's some way we could get them shifted somewhere they, where they can every year be in the postseason Cause I think they deserve it. And the fans deserve it. Uh, I want to see those guys on, you know, the main stage and show what they got. So one more Jays Brewers connection, and it's pretty important in setting up this weekend series. Uh, another guy I know you like a lot is Rowdy Tellez, who who came over to Milwaukee in the Trevor Richards trade last year. Uh, Eleven yeah. homers, forty RBI to start the year. Uh, he's been he's been. I know he's cooled off a little bit of late. Uh, he's been killing it. What drew you? Like you've been a Rowdy guy since kind of day one when you guys got him. Yeah, I, I like Rowdy a lot. Um, one, he's a lefty, and I'm a lefty baseball hitter. Um, and I, I like big, burly guys, and he fits right in. <laughs> and, you know, M- Milwaukee loves having big first basemen that hit for power, you know, whether it's Vogelbach or uh, Chris Carter. Um, you know, I could go down and down to Prince Fielder. I know Prince Fielder is, <laughs> you know, talent-wise, Hall of Fame talent. But um, I think one thing about Rowdy I like um, and they had a couple guys in Milwaukee. Tyrone Taylor is another one. Um, guys that have bounced around and guys that have just kept doing it. Um, and now that he's got a chance to be in the lineup every day, you can see him so relaxed and just ready to go uh, every day because he knows he's going to get his swings. He knows he's going to get his at-bats. And it's hard when you're in a good lineup like in Toronto early in your career 
when you don't know when you're going to get those at bats, right? And mm-hmm. you're pressing and you're up there trying to hit a gap every time, or you're trying to, you know, um, manufacture some big sort of play, you know, hit a eight run home run <laughs> every time you're up. Um, and I can empathize with that a little bit. Um, just in my career, I've had times where I'm playing a lot and you're so relaxed because you know, your time, you have so much time day in and day out to do your job and your play shows it. But then there's times where you're not in the lineup and they throw you in the rotation for two nights a week and you're trying to hit every shot, every play, you're trying to make every rotation perfect. And that's just unrealistic. So um, that's why I like guys like Rowdy that, you know, they can grind it through and it's paid off and um, you know, they're showing it in a big way now. And uh, I think it's a good lesson for kids watching that there's always going to be a place uh, for players that keep going and do the right thing. I like that answer a lot. And I was going to ask you if you see parallels yourself and you, you beat me to it. So, um, Another another Brewers player that I, I wanted to ask you about, and he fits a little bit just kind of, you know, he comes up as a top prospect. There, it, It's a hard path to playing time at times in Tampa Bay. He ends up getting dealt to Milwaukee, and now he's like putting up numbers where you're seeing Robin Yount comparisons for Milwaukee Brewers shortstops. Mm-hmm. Willie Adamas has to be one of the most fun guys that you, you've watched as a Brewers fan the last while. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing. Like last year where they were kind of, meddling, you know, early in May and needed a spark and he traded for Willie Damas. And at the time, I think he was hitting like 180 and at the trough was hitting like a hundred. And I think it's one of those things where a change of scenery was so big for him. And he brought this spark and, you know, I think not just the team, but the fans in the city, uh, the city, the city of Milwaukee loves backing themselves behind someone, you know, like the bucks, they have Giannis, but they got this dog mentality from guys like PJ Tucker and, you know, you know, these guys that are just ready to roll at any point. And a guy like Adamus, the city kind of attaches themselves to that, you know, they're, they're loud. They're not afraid to show about a little bit and they're going to play hard. And, you know, you got to respect guys that play hard and, and raise the level of the guys around them. So uh, we got a fun, fun shortstop matchup this hmm. weekend. Um, anyone in, anyone in Milwaukee's got a chance to, uh, you know, see some really good talented players, you know, at the shortstop position this week. And, um, you know, I, I've told you I have a big affinity for Bo. Yeah. So, uh, watching, watching Bo and Willie on the same field, that's going to be fun. You know, shortstops with power with flair and, um, guys that you can just tell love playing baseball every day. You mentioned how Milwaukee gets behind guys that they really love. And I, I was going to ask you about one such guy, Lorenzo Cain got released. Hey, Willie just hit a homer. Oh, Look at that! As My, we're talking. Your your feeds ahead of mine. What what timing? I would love to say that I I had some foresight there, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna ask the <laughs> Willie question because he's up at the plate. Uh, but no, he did that on the second pitch. Uh, your feeds ahead of mine a little bit. So uh, there you go, Willie Adamas staying hot ahead of the Jays series. Um, Lorenzo Cain got released recently, and he uh, he didn't spend a ton of time in Milwaukee, four or five seasons. And the outpouring mm-hmm. that that guy got from not only his teammates, but it seemed like the fan base around that. It was enough that I look at the stats and I'm like, well, he he's probably done. And then I see how much everyone loves him, how much his teammates love him, how much the fan base love mm-hmm. him. And I'm like, well, maybe he could be the fifth outfielder for the Blue Jays. Like, like what's left yeah. with Lorenzo Cain? How did he come to mean so much to that fan base so quickly? You know, I, th- I just think, you know, he's out there every night giving it his all with, with a huge smile on his face. And he was part of 
some really good teams too, and he was the center of it. You know, mm-hmm. and obviously we had Yelich and and Braun playing at such high levels, but um, Kane brought this joy to the game that you know, and he was always so reliable at the top of the order, setting setting the dish for a lot of these you know a lot of big hitters, and um, and then the, the the stuff he can do in the center field is just insane. And even this year, you know, he even admitted admitted it. He said, uh, and I love when guys are honest, um, honest blossom in interviews, and he said. My swing's all over the place. He said, I don't know what I'm doing up there. Yeah. And, you know, it sucks to see that, you know, to hear that from someone. But even watching him still in center field, you know, the early part of this year, um, you know, he just has a jump on the ball that's just so insane. And um, the city just loved the way he came out and compete. Uh, he was basically taping himself together before games. Um, you know, the comeback in 2018 – when we were, you know, I think down six games from the Cubs and to come back in the last month and win the, the win the division, it's because he, you know, he came and, and played. Him and Yelich kind of carried us through through that. And uh, I think there's also something to be said about him, kind of a hometown guy. You know, we mm-hmm. came up through the Brewers organization, and I remember when he got called up. Actually, I remember where I was the first time he had an extra base hit. I was a freshman in high school. Very random memory, but and then he gets traded to Kansas City for. Zach Grinke, and he becomes the staple of the Kansas City World Series team. So uh, a guy that's loved everywhere, and when you have guys like that, um, there's something special about him. I just think he just has a, has a gravity about him that just draws people to him. It's funny you mentioned that because my biggest memory of, like, where were you when a prospect got called up and had his first game is mm-hmm. actually from a Milwaukee-Toronto trade is Brett Laurie. And, and, you know, that Sean Markham trade, and I remember being – I was – meeting a new girlfriend's family for the first time at their place and was like trying to keep an eye on the baseball game. Uh, not, not my finest boyfriend hour, but uh, sometimes <laughs> so, you got to do it. Wow. What a name, Sean Markham. So do you, was there a joke in uh, Toronto? Like there was in Milwaukee. Um, you didn't want to go to, Sean, to a Sean Markham start. Uh, there was Sean Markham and Jeff Supon, the two slowest workers and you were going to be there for four hours if you got to one of their starts. And I don't know if that was a thing in Toronto as well, but if you got a ticket and you were at a Sean Markham game, you were going to be there for a while. Yeah. So I, I, maybe it just like wore off over time because not long after that, the Jays got R.A. Dickey, who was like a thousand times worse than anyone for that. Um, yeah, no, here it was always, here it was always like, if you had, if you had to get somewhere else after a game, you go to a Roy Halladay start. Cause they're done in like an hour 45 uh, just mowing through people. Exactly. Right? Um, one more question for you before I let you go. How do we, because we're in agreement that, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to give the Brewers my national league affinity for the year. You're going to give the Jays your American league affinity, but both of these teams, uh, you know, who would look really good on them is Shohei Otani. H- how do we sort out which, <laughs> which one of us gets Shohei Otani if the angels eventually move off of them? Well, it's so funny you said that. I was talking with some friends yesterday. I said, one of these guys, Shohei or Trout, has to – they're both such good people and such nice guys. I said, one of them just has to turn into a heel and just <laughs> get out of there. Like, they're too good to, one, be in Anaheim and never really be on TV or in the market, and two, just they find new ways to lose. And I just feel so bad for these two unreal players – um, I know they would never do it, but there's got to be a way to get them out of there. I, w- I was trying to propose some, you know, I wish there was a baseball uh, trade machine like I play <laughs> with 
with the with the NBA because there's got to be some way you can find some money uh, to match up salaries. I know Shohei's not making a lot right now, but in, in do, when he gets his big deal, uh, there's got to be a way to get him out of there. And um, I wonder. I, I feel like he would. I feel like he would enjoy uh, enjoy Toronto. I know Utah uh, got to meet him uh, when I think. He was in Anaheim, Utah, got to meet uh, Shohei and um, was trying to get him to Toronto as well. So maybe you're, maybe you have to uh, uh, use him as a recruit and um, you know get get Shohei to Toronto because you know there's there is a market there uh, for another amazing star and the city of Toronto, you know, treats their stars well. And that'd be great. Yeah. There's a, there's a pretty famous photo of Utah, not only in an angels Jersey, but the shirt underneath is all Shohei Otani heads. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's quite a lot. Uh, uh, man, I miss, I miss that guy. Oh, he's the best. Yeah. Uh, good guy. And uh, our pal Takeshi Shibata um, has, you know, he's kind of on the Utah beat and is, his status with the Japanese national team for this summer. I'd imagine when we get news about what's next for you to Takeshi Shibata as our guy, um, Sam, what's next for you this summer? I know you got your, your basketball camp in Wisconsin, uh, in a couple mm-hmm. weeks here. What else you got going this summer? Other than I, f- I forgot to congratulate you off the top new fatherhood. It's your first oh, summer as a dad too. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's been awesome. Uh, yeah, I had our son, you know, almost seven weeks ago now uh he's doing great uh mom's doing great and um it's been it's been so much fun it's been so great and uh you don't realize how much you love being a dad until you are you know that's i never believed it and um now it's here and it's the coolest thing ever and uh right now you hear this from you hear this from everybody but taking it a day at a time we're talking with teams um have had a lot of good a lot of good intel from teams and stuff and um just hoping we land somewhere uh that gives us uh gives us a good opportunity again um you know i would have loved to still be in toronto uh if it were up to me i love the guys there still chat with them all the time and um you know just such good people in the organization and and people up there so um you know i'm it's funny. I only was only was there, you know, a few months with everybody, but uh, they they made an impression on me, and that was fun. And um, so we'll we'll land somewhere this year. I'm not worried about that. It's just a matter of where, and hopefully, I can take advantage of whatever opportunity it is. And you can do their baseball radio show in whatever city uh, next. That's, um, in the, that's 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 in the cards someday. We'll see. <laughs> sure, uh, Sam Decker, former Raptors forward, huge Brewers fan, and new dad. Thanks so much for taking the time, man. Uh, have a great summer. Of course, Blake. Good talking to you, man. We'll see. That was Sam Decker, uh, monster, and, and I'm not not exaggerating here. He texts a lot about baseball. He's a big, big baseball, big, big Brewers fan. Um, you know, I wanted to get into some Corbin Burns stuff with him, but we're going to do that at 4:30 instead. Fangraphs had a really interesting piece up today on. Uh, the most irreplaceable players in the NL so far this season using some projection models of if you took this guy away, who suffers the most? Corbin Burns, number one. Uh, You have that to look forward to, Blue Jays fans, Uh, on the weekend. That's the Saturday matchup. You'll get Hauser on Friday, Burns on Saturday. It's a TBD for Sunday right now. Um, If they don't mix anything up, it'll be Chichi Gonzalez based on last time through. But uh, I don't know if there's a a move coming, if there's a call up coming, anything like that. Um, Chichi Gonzalez, who, of course, you've already seen this year. 
he was with the Minnesota Twins earlier in the season. And uh, now he's with the Brewers. <laughs> Just uh, life at the end of a roster. Nowhere near the end of a roster is Mike Petriello. He's at the top of MLB.com's roster. We're going to talk to him after the break about shift stuff. We've got some interesting data on the Jays' use of shifts, how it might vary and might need to vary by starting pitcher, and just some kind of philosophical about how we treat shifts statistically. And I'm, I'm cautious to go down the road with it sometimes because if they end up banning the shifts, we'll have done all this analysis for for next to nothing for just a couple a uh, couple months here. Um, but it's a fascinating thing to, to get into some of the numbers and the Jays shifting at an extreme, extreme, extreme amount relative even to the rest of the league as, as baseball becomes a more shift-heavy team. The average, if you, you use one of those heat map things and you come up with the average location of Santiago Espinal in the Jays infield, on an average play, it's on the other side of second base. It's wild just how aggressive the Jays have been. So we're going to dive into that and see if the strategy maybe needs some tweaks, maybe needs to get a little more conservative. Maybe that's just the case with a certain starter on the mound. I will do all that and talk Jordan Romano with Mike Petriello of MLB.com. That's next on Jays Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, song choices making JR laugh behind the glass, I think. Or something else that I messed up. I'm not sure. It, it, when we had Julia on earlier twice, I tried to respond to her without turning my mic on. It's it's that kind of day. Uh, that Okay, great. Mike's laughing as well. Uh, we're joined now by MLB.com writer and, and stat guru, kind of an occasional sports and Blue Jays central analyst mike petriello how are you buddy i'm no longer interested in talking about the blue jays and i just want to talk about cheek face all afternoon yeah i knew you liked that song i knew uh i think i'd seen you tweet about it at one point before uh and they are like i want to meet the baseball player who thinks like them where it's like yeah so you know i approach 90 percent of my plate appearances this way and then the other 10 percent, i just want to mess with a pitcher and be weird so i'm gonna go up left-handed or or change my batting stance or something like that uh anything we could take from cheek face for uh for for baseball uh yeah i think dial it back to just three people you know don't be too nuts and be funny and hilarious and wear mookie bets t-shirts that's what they do there you go. Uh, that's great. Um, so, Mike, I have a request for for your writing, and I, and I know you don't take requests. You're not a DJ, uh, but you're you're killing me. You got to stop writing about how good the Yankees are and how historically good they are. It's uh it's tough times. The the Jays take one of three against them, and the hope was heading into that series maybe you could win the series and chip away a game in the AL East. Uh, but man, you lay out quite the compelling case that this might legitimately be one of the best teams of all time. Time, uh, tell me you're wrong. Explain to me why you're wrong, Mike. Well, I'm going to explain to you why you're wrong uh, on one topic there. I have an editor, which means I very much do take requests. And okay, great request. <laughs> it's like, hey, can you can you talk about the Yankees getting to the all-time win record? And I'm like, sure. The um, the Yankees, I think the simplest way to say it, have scored the most runs per game and allowed the fewest runs per game. And that's a really good way to win baseball games. I can tell you this. They're not this good, right? (laughs) Like the number one takeaway 
about what's happened with the Yankees so far. This is the oldest lineup in baseball, right? And the only prominent guys who've been injured as far as position players go, 10 days for Josh Donaldson, 10 days for Giancarlo Stanton. That's it. Now, do you believe that's going to last the rest of the season? I do not. I don't. So they'll come back a little bit, but hey, they're up 12 games. Like they're a really good team. Yeah, those count still, no matter what. Uh, all right. The Jays aren't a bad team either, though. We're going to talk about the Jays. I, I have one other Jays tangential thing I, I've got to ask you um, because I look at some of the Jays holes and some of the areas the Jays could catch up on the Yankees, maybe. Um, if you could acquire someone who's capable of hitting eight RBI in a night or someone who's capable of striking out 13 batters, um, tell me there's there's a tiny, tiny chance the Angels would consider offers for Shohei at some point this year. I don't know. He's not a winning player. I mean, he, yeah, he, drove, in, he drove in eight and they didn't win the game. Yeah, Drew Fairservice and I are going to will this into existence. They, they listen, the, baseball has expanded the postseason and they they still would not qualify if the postseason started today. So I do think the day is coming where Shohei Otani will not play for the Angels anymore. That that day is not before the trade deadline six weeks from now. I'm sorry to say. Ah, ah. All right. Well, let's talk about things the Jays can do have control over then uh, because Shohei Otani's trade availability is, I guess, not that. Mike, the big thing we wanted to talk about today was shifting. The Jays have been the heaviest shifting team in the league. StatCast has them at 62.4% of plate appearances. Despite that, they've only been an average defense by uh, outs above expected um, and by batting average on balls in play. What are you seeing in the numbers when it comes to why the Jays are shifting so aggressively and if it's an effective strategy at that extreme a degree? I think it can be effective. I, I would point out quickly that they've come back to the pack a little bit. Like they're still number one, as you mentioned, at 62%, but the Mets and Dodgers aren't that far behind at 54% and 55%. And those are what you would consider, I think, intelligent, successful teams, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're in the same group as those guys, I, I think you're probably doing something right. I think they realized, and you've seen it over the last week or two, they're maybe getting a little over their skis on it. I remember this is early in the season, maybe like two weeks into the season when we first noticed like, Hey, they're shifting like 78% of the time and nobody else is above 50 or something like that. And I remember I wrote about it and I, uh, I actually did a, a hit for blue Jays central live from the field at Yankee stadium. And I <laughs> like, presented that to, to Jamie Campbell. And then as I'm walking off the field, um, a member of the, the blue Jays analytics staff, like flagged me down and he's like, Hey, we saw what you wrote. It was, it was really good. I'm like, Hey, cool. Thanks. He's like, yeah, we had, we had really no idea that we were shifting that much more than everybody else. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> thinking, well, I don't know. It maybe seems like a bit much, but I, I think what they're doing lately uh, is being a lot smarter about kind of situationally where, you know, like the, it's been a lot of discussion about, are they shifting too much behind Kevin Gosman? And they didn't shift him at all in his last start. But then the next night they still did it against Ross Stripling. And I think you really got to pick your spots, right? It's never one size fits all. It's like with this pitcher against this particular lineup and against the White Sox, who were not really a very shiftable lineup in the first place, that made sense. So I think they've done a really good job of getting a little smarter about, let's say, like surgically choosing the spots rather than just like throwing the whole thing against the wall. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. And we talked about this on the show Tuesday before Gosman start with, with Chris Black and Joe Siddle. And what we were looking at is, you know, Kevin Gosman is getting babbit to death and a lot of it, of his shakier starts and you know batting average on balls in play isn't entirely luck you might be giving up hard contact to 
you know, a line drive, a hard line drive into the gap is, uh, has a good chance to get down. But on the season as a whole, Gosman's batting average on balls in play and uh, the defensive metrics behind him stand out in pretty stark contrast to the Jays on an average night. So when you look at, you know, obviously they shifted way less aggressively, zero per stack cast. And then, you know, depending on how like shifting isn't binary, um, you can have a lighter shift. So, so maybe they shifted still with Gosman, just not as extremely. Um, but when you look at the fact that that was something they went away from so aggressively, I know that causation is not correlation, but do you see something in Gosman's the relationship between his very high batting average on balls and play, the shaky defensive metrics behind him and the Jays decision to go away from that? Yeah, I think it's all connected in, in some way. I mean, I, I think the most important thing to remember about Gosman is he's still an extremely good pitcher. Like mm-hmm. to expect that the way he started his first, you know, month, six weeks or whatever was what he was going to do all year. That would be like one of the greatest pitching seasons in the history of the sport. So that was probably not realistic to expect that to happen and specifically to him and i know you mentioned you had chris black on the other day and he did a really you know impressive twitter thread about this like the way that he pitches you know he is not pitching towards the kind of batted balls that are going to go into the shift you know he just does not kind of have those balls going in that direction and if you're going up against let's say a joey gallo type then sure it doesn't matter you shift him right right but uh you know when he was with the giants and i think you'd say the giants are like a very analytically forward-facing team and i'm taking this directly from chris because it, it was so good uh, <laughs> with a righty up and gosman pitching they shifted seven percent of the time last year and the jays are at 64 percent of the time and so it seems to me that's maybe not the right fit and you know again that, I, that is coming down we saw it against the white Sox. my guess is you'll continue to see that going forward so when we're looking at opportunities to shift or what might make the most sense it maybe it's maybe it's pitcher to pitcher and and this is a bad question but um in your experience anecdotally or or if you've if you've studied it are there certain pitcher types that would stand out to you as better bets to shift behind or worse bets to shift behind like i'm thinking like like gosman works a lot of splitters down in the zone and and we talked to joe siddle about what a hitter's approach is going to be like against a fastball high splitter low type pitcher. And that might have you behind on a lot of pitches where you end up poking it to the opposite field, not intentionally. It's just the way your swing path is going, adjusting to that. Um, Maybe a guy who doesn't like to work the inside of the plate isn't the best bet to have a heavy shift on uh, against a, you know, a left-handed power pull hitter guy. Um, Have you found anything like that in your time looking at shift data? I think that's partially true. I mean, obviously all pitchers do not pitch the same. You know, the way Ross Stripling pitches is not the way Gosman pitches is not the way, you know, Hunjin Ryu pitches. So you got to take that into account. But I do think it's a little more about the hitting the hitter profile. You know, like obviously a left-handed hitter is much more likely to pull a ball to the right side than a, a right-handed hitter mm-hmm. is. The thing with the shift is it, a lot of it's just a mind game, really. Like right. Jose Ramirez, who's arguably the best hitter in baseball right now you may remember he went through like this really weird like almost a full season slump and his agent tweeted out the solution to it he's like yeah i told him to stop trying to beat the shift I told him to just pound the baseball <laughs> and, yeah and it worked like yeah the shift doesn't keep the ball in the park right i i, I talked this a couple years ago now 
uh, I talked to a former Blue Jay, long retired, so I guess I can say it's Chris Coughlin. And I was asking him about that. He was a lefty hitter. I was like, hey, you know, like, what, you see the guys like lining up on the the you know right hand side of the field. Like, what are you thinking? And he's like, well, I'm thinking I'm going to get something that's going to make me pull into the shift. And then I get 95 on the knees on the outside corner, and I'm like flummoxed. Like, what the hell do I do with that? <laughs> so a lot of it's just like taking the hitter outside their comfort zone. You know, it's it's a big mind game. Yeah, it does seem like that. And I, I wonder too, and again, maybe this is, I'm just peppering you with questions that are maybe a little unfair, but I'm hoping you've talked to a, a, the odd pitcher about this or thought about it. I wonder too, is there sometimes a, a mental cost or a a sequencing cost or something like that to a pitcher when you're con- like, if you're too conscious of the shift and you get away from what is effective for you, and, you know, you get Gosman starting to think, well, I've got to work the splitter in more because we're sh- we're shifting pull heavy here. Um, I just I wonder if that's a component of it, too, where some pitchers are just going to be better off just pitching the way they pitch. And I mean, that's the way it should work, right? It's like you pitch this way and we're shifting because these are the results we expect. If you pitch differently, we will expect different results and we need to shift differently. Um, but that's that's a lot to process if you're you know, Gosman is an incredibly smart guy, but he's also a guy who primarily throws two pitches and, and you know where those pitches are getting located. Um, maybe it's, maybe it's too much going on is what I'm, what I'm trying to think my way through here. Yeah. And it could be, I, I really do think it's a lot more about the hitter than the okay. pitcher. I mean, there, especially the handedness of the batter, you know, there's been some, mm-hmm. some studies that the shift also uh, increases strikeouts a little bit for lefties, which mm. might be because, they're worried about you know lofting it or hitting it harder because they know they won't get the hit. But against righties, the strikeout rate goes down a little bit, you know, and that I think it's pretty obvious why. Like you can't shift the first baseman against a righty away from the bag like you can the third baseman uh, against the lefty. But just in terms of like how you how you look at the shift, like I saw uh, online the other night where I think um, Dan Schulman was saying, well, well there's there have been no shifts tonight against the White Sox, and people were like, yes, there are. Like the second baseman or the shortstop standing right up the middle. And it doesn't count as a shift if it's not three guys on one side of the bag. And I, and I bring that up just to say positioning, even if there is a shift band, which is not actually a thing yet, there may be one next year, but it's not in concrete as people seem to think it is. Mm. It, you're still going to be able to position guys like the ball up the middle. You're still going to have the shortstop standing one foot to the you know side of second base. So I think the idea that a shift band is going to meaningfully change things is probably not true. It'll look a little more like you think it should, um, but it's still going to be a lot of the baseball you see today. Yeah. The one thing I'm looking forward to is a shortstop being right on the second base bag. And then as the pitcher goes into his windup, he kind of shuffles over to the other side. So you're, you're technically within the rules, but you're still cheating over to that side. Uh, We're headed for some shenanigans like that if it gets banned. Uh, But this does bring me to, kind of a, a big picture data question that I did want to ask you. And it's, um, I know StatCast is, is really rich with a lot of stuff, but treating shifts as kind of a binary yes, no, I, I understand completely that that's the easiest way to do it when you're scraping loads of data from every game and every um, batted ball and things like that. But do we need to try to move to measuring shifts in terms of degree of shift instead of just yes, no of, hey, they shifted two feet this time and they shifted three feet this time. And on average, this guy gets shifted this much. Is that something you think we're capable of and would help us better understand these things? I do think it's something that we're capable of. I, I think it gets a little harder in terms of how you explain that to, let's say the lay person right, you know, right now saying, Hey, 
three guys on one side of the bag that is weird and that's a shift that makes sense to say like i don't know would you have to define a uh, traditional starting spot and then draw a circle at that spot on the field like would anybody accept that and i'm guessing probably not because that would look a little bit weirder and then you know what defines what defines being out of position if i move three feet from my starting spot is that a shift or is that just me like moving over a couple steps so it it, it gets a lot more complicated i think your question is a, a fair one and it's a it's a correct one um but just in terms of like how do we easily explain to people this is a shift or not? Drawing a line from home plate to second base is the simple and easiest way to do it. Yeah, this is probably a case where on the team side, they're already doing what I just suggested, sure. but on the public facing side, there's just not enough extra value gained in how we explain the game and how we look at the game to to get that gray in the earlier. But this is where, uh, you know, you're you're the guy when it comes to StatCast stuff. So someone from a team will reach out and be like, hey, Mike, we do have this data. Here you, here you go. Just don't tell anyone. Um, but you pass that along to me, please. Um, <laughs> data data that you have passed along on Twitter. We're going we're gonna to change the, the topic here a little bit. What the heck is going on with Jordan Romano's home road splits? Well, they are absolutely wild. He has, um, I wish I had them in front of me, but I'm going to do it off of memory. He's like a zero ERA at home and like an eight ERA on the road. The uh, walk rate is like triple on the road. It's a mess. And then I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, maybe he misses being home. And I looked at last year and it was the exact opposite. He was way better on the road last year. So this might just be one or two bad games on the road. Uh, I think the other night in Chicago was one of those games that do not, you know, flatter his style. Yeah, 939 OPS to 349, 14% walk rate to 5% walk rate, 715 ERA to zero <laughs> ERA. Uh, and then you also, you got as far as like hard hit rate from 33, it goes from 33 to 50, which is the largest jump in baseball. His strikeout rate drops uh, 7%. Uh, his velocity's down on the road. Um, so my... Oh, and- no, no. Wait, wait. I got to I gotta stop you right there. That, wait, that, that, that is um, not home road stuff. That's last year to this year. Oh. That, that actually worries me. Yeah. Oh, Home road yes. stuff I don't care about, but these things actually concern me. Sorry. I thought that was all one thread. Uh, <laughs> yes. I should look a little closer at that. Okay. So before we get to that, because that's real stuff, my silly explanation here... And you guessed it when we were DMing before, and I I guess it's low-hanging fruit, but he gets like a full light show WWE-style entrance at Rogers Center, and I just, I wonder if maybe he can't get fired up enough on the road when they play generic music as the the other team's relievers come out. Uh, He's, we got to get him, I know we have pitch comm, he's got to get like his entrance music played through his pitch comm somehow uh, to keep him fired up. Um, But there are... There are real things and serious things that you're seeing in Romano's data this year that that lend some concern. Yeah, I mean, as you said, like he's had a really good year, and I don't, I don't mean to take anything away from him. Like he's been clearly the best reliever in the bullpen, borderline all star. You know, so like all good things. But when I, I look at the top level stats and people are like, "Oh, he's fourth most in saves" or whatever, like that's great. And I'm like, "Yeah, it's, it's great, sure." But there's some underlying things that are kind of scary, like the hard hit rate, like you said, up from 34% to 50%. That is the largest jump of any regular pitcher from last year to this year. So like he's still missing bats, but when he gets hit, he's getting hit like really hard. It's loud contact. And I'm like, well, I have to know why. The fastball velocity is down like a mile and a half, which is not great, but you know, it's still 96. So it's probably fine. It's not any difference in movement that I could see, but it seems to me like his release point has really changed. Like last year, the fastball and the slider came out of the same spot 
And this year, there's like a pretty noticeable difference where they're not coming out at the same spot. And I generally consider it to be kind of lazy to think that, you know, oh, if he's getting hit, he must be tipping because that's just kind of the thing you say when you don't actually know what the answer is. <laughs> but in this case, I do sort of wonder if other hitters are picking up on this and saying, oh, I, I can tell which one's going to come because, you know, like I said, he's a two pitch pitcher. There's not that much guessing to do. I had Arden Swelling on the show last week and he kind of walked me through. I think he wrote an article about it too. He did. Um, and but he walked me through. So there's a May 28th. Romano's velocity was way way down. He threw 93.9 on an average fastball in that game. It's I think it's it was the lowest of his entire career. Since then, it's bounced back up a little bit. 96, 97, 97, 97. Last game, it was it was down a little bit again. Um, there were some mechanical tweaks that Arden mentioned, and it had to do with him keeping his back leg straight for longer and something about the coil. I, I don't want to miss word what, what Arden reported, um, but they were aware of that and trying to trying to nudge it in the right direction. He did have four appearances in a row with an average fastball velocity over 97. Um, and then it dipped back down that last White Sox outing. Is there like a, a string of games you'd need to see the velocity higher to kind of put that behind you? Uh, I, and then I wonder too, like I haven't looked into the game by game release points, but now that you mentioned that, I wonder if the adjustment uh, to get the fastball velocity back has had an impact on those release points. You know, I think it would certainly track. Um, I think that's interesting. I have to go track down that article. You know, you want to see it sustained. Like it's nice to say, okay, I can do it tonight. And then if it's inconsistent the next time out, you know, again, he's not the biggest concern in the bullpen, to be clear, but he is the rock, right? Yeah. So if he is not the guy that, you know, you think he's going to be, then you've got real problems. So I, I appreciate that they've um, apparently identified that already, like as they should. They've got incredibly smart people working for them and are working towards it. And it's going to be interesting to see if he sustains it, because I don't want to be like he's definitely going to have, be, have a, a failed second half now. Like that's Absolutely not what I'm saying. But if things go downhill, you can kind of already see it at this point in the season. Like, hey, there's something to be a little bit concerned about here. Uh, certainly concerning that if the Jays' best and highest leverage reliever starts pitching poorly, uh, really not a lot behind him. Uh, I'm a Jimmy Garcia fan, but he's dealing with a bit of an oblique thing. Tim Mays has been great. Adam Simber and David Phelps and Trent Thornton, good guys to have around, but not a lot of bat missing stuff in there. Um, Mike, when we look around at some of the teams that will be selling between now and the deadline, um, first, I guess, why do all the bad teams have bad pitchers? I'm trying to find <laughs> relief pitchers that that the Jays could trade for, but all the bad teams are, are bad, it turns out. Um, but are, are there any bat-missing names that, that are kind of high on your list, whether for the Jays or the Red Sox or whoever, of, look, these guys miss bats and they're probably on the move ahead of the deadline? There are a couple. I think that the problem with that is going to be clear, which is that every contender will also want them. Yes. Even the Yankees, like wherever they had the injuries, they've had injuries in the bullpen. You know, they're going to want guys too. So every team is going to want them. I, I kind of think this trade deadline, and I have names for you in a second, is, is going to be a little lower intensity than usual, uh, partially because there's extra playoff teams. So maybe fewer teams willing to trade and partially because the bad teams are really bad. <laughs> I mean, are you going to go to, I don't know, the Reds and trade for any relievers? Are you going to get anybody interesting out of the Tigers? Like, 
Nationals. There's teams who are bad because they are bad. As you said, there's a, a couple names. Um, David Robertson is yeah. a veteran. He's been around forever for the Cubs. He's had a lot of injuries the last couple of years. He's looked really good this year. Um, I don't know if the Rockies would ever trade Daniel Bard, who has like a really interesting backstory where he you know, got the yips and didn't pitch for like five years and came back and has been really good for them. If they are going to trade him, uh, I mean, obviously they're going to be sellers. They're terrible, but they may, they're pretty loyal to their guys, so they may not want to move him. The interesting name, is if you go to Baltimore, they've actually got some pretty decent relievers for what is you know generally a last place team. Uh, some of them they're going to hold on to, like Felix Bautista is kind of a find. I think they'll hold on to. Uh, their closer is Jorge Lopez, and he has been around for a minute and generally been terrible. Like he got killed in Kansas City as a starter. He got killed in Milwaukee as a starter. He was a starter for the Orioles last year, and he was awful. <laughs> now, for the first time at 29 years old, he's a full-time reliever. And he's got this sinker that suddenly is like 99 miles an hour. He's allowed three earned runs in 29 games. I believe he's actually quite that good. Uh, And I wouldn't necessarily want him to be like my main guy. But if you want like a veteran who's been around, who has unlocked a new skill, if you look at him, don't look at his career numbers because they don't matter. Just look at what he's doing this year. I think the Orioles might have a couple of relievers you could look at. And the the other thing with uh, with Lopez as well is, yes, you you absolutely want the ability to miss bats um, in general. But if you're looking for someone who could maybe be insulated from some of the AL East parks that you're going to play in, a guy with a 64% ground ball rate and a sinker that generates a lot of weak contacts uh, on the ground is uh, is a pretty safe bet as a as a number two skill there. So uh, I like the Lopez pick. Um, he only makes one and a half million dollars uh, and is ARB eligible for a couple more years. And we know the Jays front office has has valued that kind of thing the the ability to to have a guy for longer than a year, uh, have him stick around. Of course, the the price goes up with that as well. Uh, the David Robertson one's super interesting to me because I, I've had. Ian Happ in my crosshairs for a while too. And oh, the two of those, yeah, the, <laughs> the two of those guys combined make 10 million and halfway through the season, you're only looking at 5 million total. And uh, I don't know. Do you, do you, the Cubs are always a, a tough team for me to figure what, what their intentions are. Um, I know they're very, very bad right now. Do you, do you figure that they'll have no choice, but to be sellers? You know, the hardest part for me in, in thinking about the Cubs trading with the Blue Jays is, is that the Cubs have not, I don't believe, been to Toronto and will not go to Toronto. So I Oh, can't really so we don't who's... know the status. Yeah, exactly. And I'm oh. not I'm not casting aspersions on anybody. I have no idea. But like the teams that have been to Toronto already, then you already know the answer for those guys. Yes. You, know? you don't know poor guys on the Cubs and other teams that haven't been there. That Setting that aside, um, I think they have to be sellers. I mean, they look terrible they are let's see they were 26 and 43 and during the day i mean they've had some interesting guys pop up you know like christopher morell looks pretty cool and you know say suzuki obviously is injured but i don't know if i see a great fit with the uh with the blue jays because their most appealing trade piece is wilson Contreras. and if there's anything the blue jays do not need it's another catcher right now. yes so i feel like they may not they may not match up but you know david robertson is um he's a veteran he's been around i just i think that means a lot of teams are going to want in on him yeah, definitely. And you look at the Cubs, the poor Cubs, even like Brendan Davis is hurt and was bad before that. Like the guy who was supposed to be the thing you have to look forward to. Um, I don't know. Big opportunity for the White Sox here to steal some fans the next little bit if they can figure it out. Um, Mike Petriello, you don't need to steal any fans. You're, you're the, the biggest fan favorite there is when you come on. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time today, man. Please stop writing good things about the Yankees, but otherwise uh, love your work. 
Thank you, Blake, and thank you, JR. Take care. That was Mike Petriello, MLB.com, occasionally Sportsnet, and Blue Jays Central. Just a great resource on Twitter and at MLB.com for, hey, you're gonna, you hear all these StatCast things. What do they actually mean to a fan as they're watching the game? How do we parse this in a more digestible way that's not just numbers? He's the best at that. I really enjoyed that conversation kind of kicking around. Should the Jays shift a little bit less? Is this just the Kevin Gosman thing? As we saw the other day when they they more or less abandoned uh, the shift for that one, at least to such an extreme degree. We'll see how that continues to play out. I take a little break here. Keep your texts coming. 590-590. We've got a couple questions in there. I'll answer after the break. Uh, that's normally when we tee up the game, but there's no game tonight. The Blue Jays are off before they play 18 in 17 days. Uh, you got tired, and I know that this is true in the text line from yesterday. You got tired of hearing about a, a taxed bullpen and thought that was just a, a way of saying the bullpen isn't good enough. Well, when you play 18 games in 17 days, uh, get ready to hear even more about a taxed bullpen. Uh, those Brewers that the Jays play this weekend, by the way, in action right now, up 5-4 against the Cardinals in the seventh inning. But they're in trouble. Brad Boxberger getting boxed around a little bit here. Uh, I'm going to continue to watch that. You continue listening here. Uh, we'll talk to you. We'll answer your questions, 590-590 or at Blake Murphy ODC uh, in a minute here on JSTOP Plus on Sports at 590, The Fan. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. As I wrap up my week here on Jays Talk Plus, a little confusing for me personally because I've also been hosting the Raptor Show with William Liu this week, and tonight's the NBA draft, and there are Woj bombs and Shams bombs dropping, and it's uh, I, I keep forgetting which show I'm on and uh, if I need to react to these things or read them out on the air. Uh, I don't. This is a Jays show. Uh, normally in this spot, we'd be teeing up tonight's game. The Jays are off. They're headed to Milwaukee for a three-game set this weekend. Uh, Milwaukee Brewers in action right now against the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, so they have a little bit of time off, but not not a whole a whole day of rest like the like the Blue Jays. And boy, could it not come at a better time. Jordan Romano threw 51 pitches over a three-day stretch recently. Jimmy Garcia, 31. Tim Mays at 32 pitches in a back-to-back and pitched four of the last five days. Adam Simber again, uh, 62 pitches in three appearances over four days. 70 pitches over three appearances in five days for David Phelps. I, I could go on because even Trent Thornton's been pretty heavily worked. Uh, Matt Cage as well. Uh, the Jays' bullpen needed a break. You'd prefer to get that from starters going longer, like Yusei Kikuchi, Jose Barrios. Kevin Gosman did it last time. If Ross Stripling gives you six and your bullpen's still overworked after, uh, things have not gone the way you'd hoped. This is how the Jays line up with the Milwaukee Brewers this weekend. The Brewers, by the way, uh, they're winning right now. They're 39 and 32. They were on an eight-game losing streak, steered out of it the last little bit, six and four in their last 10. Not terribly dangerous at the plate. 
Number 19 offense overall. Struggle against lefties. They're about average against righties. Uh, but they have the number nine rotation in baseball and the number seven bullpen so far this year. Fangraphs has a piece up today, our pal Dan Zaborski. And he ran some simulations of if you took this player off of this team and you do that for everyone in the league, who, which team suffers the most and which player causes that suffering the most? It's Corbin Burns. He has been that good. The, as Dan put it, the most indispensable player in the National League so far this year. The Jays are going to see him on Saturday. He's got a 231 ERA. All his component metrics are, are sub three as well. 33% strikeout rate, walk rate less than 6%. He's actually, by his standards, allowed more home runs than you, you'd expect from him. Uh, the home run per fly ball rate, about double what it's been over the last couple seasons. He had some home run problems early in his career, some real home run problems in 2019 when he was primarily a reliever. Um, But the last two seasons, he's kept the ball in the yard. And that hasn't quite been the case this year. So if you're looking for a way to get at Corbin Burns, even though he has a sub three RA, he's allowed 10 home runs. That's more than he allowed the last two seasons combined. And that was over almost 230 innings. This has been 85 innings. So he has given up the long ball, but you're going to strike out and you're not going to walk 231 ERA. It's a lot. 110 strikeouts already this year in 85 innings for Corbin Burns. So that's what you're looking at on Saturday. Before that, you'll get Adrian Hauser. He gets the start on Friday. Another righty. Another guy having a a solid season, not nearly as good as Burns, but he's got a 424 ERA. That's not too bad. He was better last year, but everything last year screamed he had gotten a little fortunate. Um, His fielding independent pitching was more than a full run over his ERA. Some pitchers can outperform their fielding independent pitching. It's not a perfect uh, projection metric. But anything when you're talking about more than a run difference, you're probably having some good fortune there. Hauser doesn't miss a lot of bats. Um, so that's, you know, that's a red flag as well when you're looking at that stuff. And he walks a fair number of guys. So you add all that up and it's, well, how is he doing this? And it's with weak contact. He's done a good job suppressing home runs this year on a per fly ball basis, but his ground ball rate is way down. This is a guy who's generally done a good job getting weak contact into the ground or at least keeping hard contact low. Hasn't quite been the case this year. Big spike in hard hit rate, big spike in the rate that batters can pull him, pull against him. I guess you pull him, but you probably want to pull the ball against him. Uh, 424 ERA for Hauser, and the component metrics suggest that's about right. So that's a lot of stuff that doesn't look great in the profile, and he still comes out projecting as a... Four to low four ERA guy lets you know how deceptive he can be and how difficult it can be at times to to drive the ball in the air against him when he's on. We don't know who's starting for Milwaukee on Sunday. It's still listed as TBD. If they don't juggle anything, they don't send Chichi Gonzalez down and call up someone from the minors. Based on this week, Chichi Gonzalez would be the next guy to start. Um, Chichi Gonzalez is a guy who they just got. The Jays saw him when he was in Minnesota. 
He made two starts for the Twins. He's made one start for the Brewers, uh, 736 ERA over those three games. Um, Chichi Gonzalez is just a guy. Just a guy. Uh, we have a request. This isn't a text. It's a tweet. Uh, but Drew Fairservice, our pal, wants me to announce on the air, Kevin Durant to, to the Toronto Raptors. Uh, not yet, but you will know from my Twitter that, that I remind you as often as you, as I can. Basically, every time Kevin Durant is having an existential crisis, I, I bring this up. Um, so all the time. Noted Blue Jays fan. Kevin Durant Raptors fan when he was a kid has been photographed multiple times in a blue Jays Jersey. I don't know if maybe the baseball team can sell him. Here's how you get Kevin Durant to Toronto on the Raptors is you go out and trade for Shohei Otani because you know, Kevin Durant is a baseball fan as well. Uh, You make the Jays even more attractive to a Jays fan. And and then the rest follows from there. He'll want to be here in October anything for Shohei Otani. Um, and if it gets you Kevin Durant in the process, awesome. We do have some texts in the text line. Again, it's Hauser, it's Burns, and it's TBD, but possibly Chichi Gonzalez going for the Brewers. For the Jays, it'll be Manoa, Kikuchi, Barrios. You really like your chances, Manoa against Hauser on Friday. You probably feel like you got to get the first one. Even if Kikuchi has a good start against the Brewers lineup, that doesn't hit lefties particularly well. It's Corbin Burns on the other side. You're never penciling in. Like it's never a schedule W when Corbin Burns is opposite you. And then you'd hope that Sunday is in your favor as well. Brios against a TBD or, or a, you know, quad a guy in Chichi Gonzalez. But Brios has been so up and down. It's hard to be certain. So, you know, Manoa is going to want that win with that Yankees game, not too far in his rear view. You want to get Fridays. That's for sure. Uh, we do have texts in the text line. So keep those coming at 590, 590. We're, uh, we're with you until 455 here before we kick it over to drive time with Ennis and Brunt. Um, John and Belleville. This was a, a, actually left over from when I did Jay's talk post game yesterday. Um, and he asked, and someone else asked this in the text line today as well. Um, so a couple people have asked um, that one. This person didn't sign their name today, but the question on the week or yesterday was from John in Belleville. Um, why do the Jays have a 110 hitter on the roster? There must be somebody better at Buffalo. This is, of course, referring to Bradley Zimmer. You have used the roster spot all year on a player that you don't trust to play meaningful time and really hasn't been effective when he has been given the opportunity. Zimmer at one point this year was threatening a franchise record for most consecutive appearances without a plate appearance. So basically stretching the definition of, of how, like, are you allowed to be just a pinch runner and a fielding replacement without ever getting a start or an at bat? He was pushing it. He has 72 plate appearances and he's appeared in 48 games. That that's comical. Uh, the way that he's been deployed, but it's hard to argue because he has a 111 batting average, a 211 OBP and a 222 slugging. Were you to ask the Blue Jays to justify this? I imagine they would say, first of all, he's out of options. So if you send him down, you're, you're sacrificing organizational depth because maybe he gets claimed on waivers. That tends to only matter for guys you're, you're worried about keeping and I'm not sure Zimmer would even get claimed at this rate. 
um, you know, he's he's almost 30 now. I, I don't know that there's any um, any thought left from other teams that you could unlock more with Zimmer here. Um, he's never had even a league average season at the plate or partial season at the plate. So the Jays might tell you that they're worried about maintaining outfield depth. And if you DFA a guy and lose him, that's one fewer outfielder you can turn to if George Springer were to get hurt or, or this elbow thing is to, to be a serious thing, anything like that. The other thing is they haven't used their last bench spot or their last two bench spots really much at all. This is a team that has 11 guys that they want to rotate through nine spots. And for part of the year, they used the third catcher who rarely played in, in Zach Collins slash Tyler Heineman. For part of the year, they ran a bench player short and kept an extra pitcher. And now they've been forced into carrying the, the extra bench guy because of the change in the, in the roster rule where now you can only have 13 pitchers on your roster at a time. And Otto Lopez is doing his best Bradley Zimmer replacement where he has zero plate appearances now. And he's been on the roster uh, a handful of days. He's only come in once as a defensive replacement in an extra inning game. I think the Jays want to just work those 11 guys through those nine spots as, as often as they can. And then if you're looking at what do you want the skill set of your 12th and 13th guy to be, you can make a case for a third catcher that lets you DH Alejandro Kirk more and pinch hit with him on days that he's not starting. That's one approach to it. Um, Zach Collins, I believe, is up with the Jays right now on the taxi squad, just in case that's necessary. Um, the other would be, well, you want someone who can be a fielding replacement to either spell George Springer with the day off or replace a Rymel Tapia or something like that um, late in a game when you have the lead or someone who could potentially pinch run and use some wheels. Bradley Zimmer is, he checks off the speed box and he checks off the defense box. He doesn't check off the box of, if you have to start this guy, are you getting anything out of him? No. So this is a long answer for a player who probably doesn't warrant it, but I'm trying to work through what the Jays thinking is here. Um, because yeah, it's the, this guy's been on the roster the entire season with uh, what four thirty three OPS, and they clearly don't trust him to start more than once a week given his usage. Um, it's a question mark, and it's a spot that you could probably look to upgrade. I, I think the ideal scenario, assuming you're going to use your assets with an eye toward a hitter still at some point, is you upgrade the Tapia spot and then Tapia slides into the Zimmer spot and you use that extra outfielder, that fifth outfielder a little bit more often questions related to this. Josh in Burlington asks, how worried are you about George Springer? Seems like there's been silence on the status of his injury is no news, bad news. Um, and then the follow-up from Brendan in Guelph, if Springer's injury is long-term, what do you see the blue Jays doing trade? Is there a player in AAA who could get the call? So we're expecting a Springer update tomorrow. Harden Zwelling filled us in yesterday that um, they're not expecting an update until uh, tomorrow. This is this tends to be how it goes, by the way, that um, the first game of a series on a road trip or, or on a road series tends to be the kind of news dump day because there aren't as many media around uh, throughout the series and, and it's a little 
you know, the access is just a little different. And then the team kind of wants to put those updates out all at once. So uh, the Jays were still, as of last night, still waiting on results from an MRI on Springer's elbow. Uh, An update is expected Friday. Uh, That's the case for Jimmy Garcia as well. He was unavailable yesterday due to left side discomfort. He's going to be reevaluated before the weekend. Um, So I'd imagine there are updates on both of those guys tomorrow. In terms of your concern level, it's George Springer. You are not banking on him playing 155 games. Uh, You have to be realistic about that at this point. Um, It's why they get him so many DH days and the odd off day. He has played more than 140 games in a season once in his career. You just got to be realistic about that. It's not necessarily a knock on the guy because 140 games of George Springer is still very, very valuable. Uh, You just got to be a little realistic about those things. Now, the question, uh, the follow-up question about what do you do? I don't think it's uh, you scramble and trade for someone if we're talking, you know, a 15-day, 20-day, 25-day IL stint. I think you you make do with what you have. And Tay Oscar Hernandez and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. are just not getting nearly as many off days. Rymel Tapia is playing a lot more, and that DH spot is almost exclusively than a, a Vlad and Kirk spot, I think. Um, the The call-up option for depth there is interesting because there are some guys at Buffalo who are hitting fairly well. We've talked to Keith Law on Jay's Talk Plus a couple times about the difficulty this year in, in pulling some of the data from the minor leagues because um, there's if you think it's bad in the majors – Uh, With the inconsistency of balls, that's even more the case in the minors where different leagues and different levels are are using different balls, uh, allegedly. So um, you also have Kevin Biggio, by the way, who has hit pretty well since he returned from Buffalo. He is capable of playing a corner outfield. You could work him in a little bit more. Um, Nobody at AAA is barking for a call-up necessarily. Samad Taylor has been nice and has a lot of speed. Um, not sure how comfortable they'd be with trying him in the outfield. He's primarily a second baseman. Um, I'm checking right now if he's even seen time in the outfield and it's been a little bit. He's, he's spent uh, about a third of his time this year in left field. Uh, he has a couple reps in center field in prior years. Uh, we saw them use Otto Lopez in center field the other day, even though he doesn't have a lot of, a lot of experience there. Uh, so Samad Taylor's one option. Nathan Lucas is another. Um, he's someone that you you probably remember from spring training. He's hitting almost 300 at AAA with a 370 OBP. Uh, pretty good. He can steal a base as well, and, and he's kind of a full-time uh, center fielder that you'd probably be okay slotting into any of the three outfield spots as needed. He started at all of them at least 11 times this year in Buffalo. Um, So that's a potential option as well. Obviously, none of those guys are jumping into George Springer's spot and playing nearly as much as George Springer and um, certainly not at the level of George Springer, but there are names for you and and semi-interesting names. The problem is that neither of those guys are on the 40-man roster. You can clear a spot right now, and Nate Pearson, who we don't have an update on yet either after he left his last outing uh, with shoulder soreness, um, he's still on the 60-day IL. 
you could move Ryu to the 60-day IL and clear a spot. Um, you might be holding that off in case you need to bring up another pitcher, uh, given how your bullpen's been worked. But yeah, the only guys in the minors on the position player side who aren't already up and are on the 40-man are Leo Jimenez and, and Vinny Capra. So you might have to make a move and Zach Collins. Um, but I don't think you're calling up Zach Collins to help with the uh, George Springer fill in. So uh, keep an eye out for those updates tomorrow from Arden and, and the rest of the um, beat writer crew. Tim from Alliston asks two relievers. I'm looking for your thoughts on Brock Burke and Joe Mantiply. So, Let's let, look, there's a, there's a lot of names we can, we can go uh, through here. Nick Ashburn has a, a really good piece up on sportsnet.ca that went up today. Um, looking at some more candidates that you can look at. Um, Mantiply is a lefty, which is an interesting thought because I, th- I think the Jays are in a position where you just get good bullpen arms. You don't, you don't necessarily worry about that. As much, if a really good lefty is available and no really good righty is available, take the lefty. I do think they'd probably have a preference for uh, someone from the right side. A guy with a 0-30 is an 0-34 ERA and a strikeout per inning is, uh, of course, at least some degree of interesting. Uh, and I'm referring to Mantiply with that. Uh, Brock Burke is another name who pitches from the left side. Uh, Texas Rangers just flush with good lefty relievers somehow. It's the only thing they're doing right. Uh, that's another guy well over a strikeout per inning from the left side, which is great. Um, I'd have to dig into with both of these guys, uh, the component stuff a little more, see what's helping them put a sub one ERA up. Uh, but anytime you have those kind of numbers from the left side, and if those, those names aren't super expensive, then great. Um, it's something we're going to talk about a lot in the coming weeks. Uh, I would love to talk about it for a less amount of time because that would mean that the Jays have gone out and fortified that bullpen. I don't think that's imminent. Um, so thank you for those questions. We'll, of course, continue to to answer those over the coming days and weeks at 590-590 or at Blake Murphy ODC. Uh, no Jays Talk Plus tomorrow or Monday, though. I'm off for a couple days. The Jays are off today. Show Ali's back with you for Jays Talk uh, post-game over the weekend because Blair and Barker are off for the remainder of the week. So uh, thank you to Sam Decker for coming on, Mike Petriello, Julia Kreutz. Thank you to JR and Derek behind the glass. Thank you for listening and subscribe to the Blue Jays Talk podcast feed uh, to get your post-game stuff throughout the course of the weekend. I know it's only Thursday, but have a great weekend, everyone. I'll talk to you Tuesday. Tuesday.